for Lickin' On Lending. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Lickin' On Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news, all related to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Transformational Mortgage Solutions. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. Now here's your host of Lickin' On Lending, David Lickin'. Let's begin. Listeners, excited to have Matthew Van Flossen. Am I saying that right? You got it, David. CEO of Absolute Mortgage Corporation, Absolute Automation Technologies, has dedicated 20 years to the mortgage industry, pioneering the way loan officers utilize Encompass. Can't wait to hear about this. That's an older system that's being replaced by so many new systems, but he's found a way to make it work. He has developed the Big Point of Sale, a cutting-edge web-based system. His innovations make him a prime target for the housing wire trendsetter. Also, Matthew serves as the vice president of the Community Home Lenders of America, the national nonprofit association for small and mid-sized community-based mortgage lenders that promotes federal mortgage programs, rules, regulations, which treat the community mortgage bankers and mortgage lenders fairly. So excited to have you here, Matthew. Appreciate you being here. And we've had some time talking before as I get to know you. Wow, listeners, this guy's really articulate talking about where the market's at. Love to get another perspective. So welcome to the podcast, Matthew. Thanks, David. Excited to be here. Excited to discuss the trending issues in the industry today. Hopefully we'll be able to get some solutions for the listeners. What do we got? What are we looking at? First of all, for those that do not know you, Matthew, if you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you're at today. Sure. Thanks, David. I'm a 20-year mortgage industry veteran. I started as a loan officer right out of high school. Early on in the early 2000s, decided to open up my first mortgage brokerage, built that business up, saw it through the 2008 crisis. We then merged with Absolute Home Mortgage, which is an independent mortgage banker, and I started getting into banking. During this whole time, I've always loved innovating through technology. Technology was always my forte throughout my education, and I always saw an opportunity in the mortgage industry to mix operations and technology together and innovate. I've always loved the mortgage industry because of the opportunity to advance your career and the ability to really help influence others and other businesses, promote advocacy. I get very involved through CHLA and different housing policies. And a lot of people always ask me, dude, how do you do so much? How do you run CHLA? How do you do your New Jersey MBA stuff? How do you do Absolute? And then you have the technology company on top of it. And I say, when all the businesses are reciprocal, the CHLA in Washington stuff helps me keep an ear to the street to what's going on and what the problems of today are. Absolute lets me be in touch with my loan officers, know their challenges on a daily basis. And then a technology company allows me to write solutions for all of it. So it actually becomes pretty simple when you realize that when you're sitting at the top of all of them and you can use each one as a benefactory of the other, right? It actually balances itself out. I agree with your perspective and I'm thrilled to see that. Yeah, that's balancing a lot of moving plates and it can feel like spinning sticks on a stage. But I think it's really important that you bring the interactivity of how one serves the other. And I think that's really good. But that gives you a unique perspective on the current state of the mortgage lending industry. And I want to get your perspective, especially from the Community Home Lenders Association's perspective, what you're seeing and what you're hearing from them, but also as it relates to the recent lawsuit against National Association of Realtors. And what are some of the industry trends that you see coming out of all this? Yeah, so there's a lot going on in the industry. CHLA tries to stay ahead of a lot of it. 
So when, you know, we're talking about the NAR issue, we have to really be concerned about this and really monitor it closely. I've been top on top of this issue for almost a year now since Last April, when the lawsuit got certified as a class action, I was raising the red flag and saying, hey, we need to really look at what's going on here because what affects buyer agent commission has counterparty risk. Where do loan officers get their business from? They get their business from buyer agents a lot of times. So what may affect their commissions has a direct relation to affecting independent mortgage bankers and affecting loan officers. And it was a very cautious thing that we had to take at CHLA of how to navigate and where we really wanted to figure out what policy we wanted to recommend for the industry and go to Washington with. So we said, okay, let's dissect this. Let's look at a couple of issues here. We believe that if sellers start adapting and they don't want to pay buyer agent commission anymore, okay, and that's what a seller of a home is going to say, what then might happen? Buyer agent commission may be reduced. That may cause them to look elsewhere to try to fill that gap. One concern that the industry has is if you go back 12 months ago, FHA released a mortgagee letter that lifted something called the proxy which was the dual comp proxy that a real estate agent could not be a licensed loan officer and a licensed real estate buyer agent on the same transaction. And they came out and said, hey, we're in parity with the GSEs on this. We're okay with it. Where that relates to the lawsuit and some concerns that we have is that we may see an influx of real estate agents becoming loan officers and doing dual representation. So where that comes into CHLA policy is we put out some guidance that we said, let's look at this for a second. There's two key points around licensing here. One, we don't think it's a good idea that a listing agent should represent a buyer's mortgage. We don't think that's good for a consumer, that somebody that's selling a house knows the max affordability, max debt to income, max disposable income, and max disposable assets of a person trying to put an offer in the house. That's a conflict. And right now there's no regulatory guardrail that would stop a listing agent from representing yeah. a buyer's mortgage. And we have a lot of concern about low to moderate income and underserved areas and how that could be leveraged against certain individuals. So that's one thing that we recommended. The other recommendation is that real estate agents have to pass the NMLS test. One way you can get around passing an NMLS test is being an NMLS R, an NMLS registrant, going working for a depository institution. Yep. We feel that there needs to be a barrier of entry. If a real estate agent's going to come into this space and go get their lender license, go get their MLO license, we want them to make sure that they can't use the NMLS registrant system to bypass the testing requirements. So there's another recommendation we put in. There's a couple other provisions we're working on too, David, that really puts good consumer protections in place. We're not really for financing the real estate agent commission. We're starting to see a lot of lobbying in Washington come out that the buyer agents are looking for vehicles for consumers to finance this commission. And we just don't think that's a good idea. We think that that's not good for low to moderate income borrowers, which is who IMB serve. We're the number one servicers of the underserved community. And when we look at the average real estate commission for a buyer agent being about $10,000, we say, we don't think that's a good idea to be, have a vehicle to finance that. We'd rather see the free market take its place and let consumers decide what a okay price point to pay a buyer agent is. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they're working on too. But as far as that NAR lawsuit is concerned, that's really the policy stuff. Now, what do we hope for? What we hope for not much is going to change. And I think that this is the most likely outcome. We really think it's going to happen is it's going to be a disclosure issue that when you go to sell your house, you're going to be presented with a listing agreement and it's going to have two columns. 
buyer agent commission, listing agent commission. And a seller is going to ask their listing agent, why would I pay the buyer agent commission? The listing agent can simply say, you want to sell your house for 400000 If you don't do a buyer agent commission, the first offer I get for 400000 that's good. I'm going to take it because I did my job. The funny part is sellers, they list for 400 but they really want 425 or 450 right? Even though they're listing for 400 So what the listing agent has to say to them is, if you want to try to have an opportunity to sell over listing price, you need to offer that 2 or 3% buyer agent commission. That's going to offer more price competition. That's going to get more people into the market for your house, see it more, and hopefully get that house overbid. If that happens and sellers see value in buyer agents still, then I think it's going to be business as usual. Business as usual is a good thing for loan officers. It's business as usual in the sense that there'll still be a buyer's agent and there'll be a seller's agent in that sense. What would you say to those that would argue, why are you advocating we not have that financed in the financing, which is really what we have going on right now? If nothing's changing, we have both the seller commission and the buyer commission financed in the deal. Did I understand you correctly? You're saying we're going to go to cutting the commission down to 3%. We'll finance that through the purchase of the home, but not the buyer agent. That is not business as usual. It would seem to me. So I want to get clarity in what we're especially CHLA stands on that Currently, the and the financing of the, of that. Especially, I know that's an initiative on ours. So reach out to Fannie Freddie to try to make sure that the buyer agent commission is financeable still as it has been. It could be argued that it has been. The argument is that it's packed into the purchase price of the house. If I sell my house right. for 400000 I'm paying a 6% listing fee. The buyer agent fee is inside there. Yeah. The question is, to argue against that, is a list a seller that's now paying 3% going to sell their house for 3% less, or are they still going to list it for 400000 because if they still list it for 400000 then it's actually not included in the deal. And that's why they're saying that the financing is incorporated in. But I have a couple other concerns about financing it. Let me explain. Okay. It's not going to be included in the price of the house. It's going to be a separate line item paid directly by the buyer to the buyer agent with potentially an option to finance. I have two problems with the option to finance. One is total points and fees. I don't want to see this real estate agent commission be start going down the calculation of high cost of total points and fees of QM right. because that knocks out the rest of the fees. That's one concern is that now it's a fixed cost or even treading into the cost of APR. So we have to be very careful about saying, oh, we're going to be financing this commission because that can come into our fees calculations. The second part of that is straight cost to the consumer. If they're now financing an additional $10,000 over the life of the loan, that real estate agent fee, when you amortize that over a 15 or 30 year mortgage, might be three or four X that they're paying. And what you'll have is you'll have some consumers that are more affluent and financially stable be able to pay this fee out of pocket. And then you'll have other consumers that don't have the out-of-pocket expense to be able to pay it up front. They'll have to finance it, which puts them at a disadvantage. And I would like to see a more level playing field. So that's why I'm hoping for business as usual, which would not regard the financing of this fee. Okay, so again, clarity is before the lawsuits, it was financed. Business as usual moving forward is the buyer agent would be excluded from that. So it's a slight departure from business as usual. It's, I'm just get clarity for our listeners who are sorting through that. Is that, am I getting that right? Kind of. So business as usual is no, that the seller still pays the 3% fee. 
right? The seller yeah. sees the uh, value. They're yeah. still building the fee into oh, the so contract. So you're saying, so the build it in for the buyer when you're saying the 3% Correct. for the buyer. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I think that's yep. what's being modeled out already up in the Pacific Northwest already is that things have not changed to what many are more and more people are saying it has not changed. What really is surprising to me, Matthew, is the fact that the National Association of Realtors has not done a blanket settlement on this, which keeps the door open for more and more lawsuits happening. That is befuddling to me. Why would they not race to a blanket settlement, which seems the plaintiffs have all said they would be open to? Any insights on that? I think they think they have a great case. And that's what it is. They genuinely believe in the construct of the real estate transaction. And they believe that it's the most beneficial to buyers by having this fee packed in. And they think that they can win. And that's why they're keeping keeping buttoned up on it because they have other pending litigation in the wake of this. They can't make further public statements because that could rack up additional liability. And they think that through the appeals court process that they're going to be able to get this overruled and it's going to stem these other lawsuits. They are going okay. all in on it. So they're really doubling down on we're right, you're wrong. So we're going to get an appeal done. And so that it gives me some insights to that. By the way, I thank you so much for dwelling on this. You're very articulate on this. You obviously have spent some time studying it. One thing I want to continue on and down this line of thought is the dual agency. More and more real estate companies are saying you cannot be the listing agent and the selling agent. Those two cannot be dual agency. And then you add the mix of realtors having the ability to become a licensed mortgage loan originator, MLO. That's almost like do dual. It's like triple agency where you dual can have the dual comp, dual yeah. agency, dual comp. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You'll still look at all the opportunities and there's lots of opportunities for conflict, which I think is going to open up the doors for more lawsuits in this area. And there's all it's fraud, but I want to just get again, your perspective and CHLA's perspective on this, the dual agency. Where do you think that's going? More and more realtors are moving away from, and it seems like the Department of Justice is really zeroed in on this dual agency in the sense, in addition to dual agency be defined as the listing agent and the selling agent being one and the same. It seems like DOJ is really focused in on that. Thoughts and reflections? So I think this is funny because it's actually tied together, but it's not, right? A lot of the real estate community has now been talking about dual agency again, when this has been a highly disputed Ethics uh, for the past yeah. 15 or 20 years, the yeah. agents have been debating this. So why is this coming into play when it really wasn't incorporated in the litigation of the lawsuit? So the only thing I can think of here is maybe they're using it as a vehicle to protect buyer agent commission. Okay, we're mm, saying, okay. hey, maybe if we give up the dual agency thing, we can protect buyer agent commission because what okay. they might be scared of is that savvy seller scenario where the seller goes yes. to the listing agent, hey, I'm going to pay zero to the buyer agent, right? And this is what I need you as the listing agent to do. I don't need postcards. I don't need open houses. I don't need magazine ads. I need you to take a couple pictures and put it on the MLS for 3% and you field the buyers and you do dual agency if you want my listing. And the listing agent is fielding the buyers directly. So what I'm thinking is going on is the reason that this has been re-entered into debate amongst the real estate community is it makes logical sense that they're saying, okay, we may have to give up one of these two. I'd rather give up dual agency than give up the whole buyer agent construct system. Let's keep the two sides of the deal separated. It's so fascinating. We could spend a lot of time on this topic because there's a lot of woulda, couldas. The bottom line is it is yet to be determined. We've got the appeal pending and we shall see. 
I'm probably landing with you more that in the end, after all the dust settles, not much is going to change in this. And what it's going to do is require, especially the agent that represents the buyer to up their game on representing what their services are and then who finances it, how it's handled, that all remains to be determined. we got to have you back, and we'll, we'll continue to monitor this, Matthew, because you obviously got your finger on the pulse of that. Let's look beyond the immediate impacts of the National Association of Realtors lawsuit. What do lenders and loan arrangers need to do to succeed in the future, especially given the changing landscape? You, again, you as an originator certainly have your perspective, but again, collectively from a CHLA's perspective. Love to get your thoughts. So I'm going to actually talk about absolute and how we look at things at our mortgage company from this landscape. You said an important word, change. Historically, originators are not the best at change, right? We have a lot of talk about change management, right? It disrupts the norm of their lives. And we see that it takes us a little bit to adjust. And that's my best recommendation I can have for an originator, an operations employee, or even a senior executive leader is embrace change because now is the time to change. Now is the time to adapt. If your phones aren't ringing and there's nothing you could do to stir up business, what are you doing wrong? Where can we innovate? Where can we actually say, okay, now's the time to achieve our goals? Like internally at our company, we've revamped, we've used this opportunity where we're not going crazy with loans and underwriting and have a thousand loan backlog of underwriting like we did in 2020 and 2021. And we're saying, okay, how do we hone in our systems? How do we revisit our policies and procedures? Where do we find efficiencies? And you have to do this on a daily basis because the adjustments you made three months ago need to even be revisited today. You have a lot of changes going on at a very fast pace. You're looking at another FICO fee increase 12 months after we just saw one. So we made all of our adjustments over to soft poles last year and a lot of companies yeah. moved into a soft pole system. And, and now, now they're going to charge you for it. Now they're increasing soft pulls by $11 on average, a soft pull credit report, yeah. which could see for a midsize IMB, a fee increase of over $100,000 a month. So if you just last quarter adjusted your business, maybe did some cost cutting measures immediately at the beginning of the year, in the middle of the winter, when originations are historically down, you're going to get hit again. So you yeah. have to keep your finger on the pulse of these industry changes. You have to be right. overly managing your business and you have to adapt. Loan officers may have to start asking for credit cards again when they go pull, uh, process credit. Everybody's standoffish and who's the first that's going to do that? 10 years mm -hmm. ago, that wasn't that uncommon no. that a loan officer asked a consumer for a credit card. And that's when credit reports were 12 bucks for a tri-merge. Now you're looking at a 50 or $75 tri-merge fee. And the other thing, David, that you're looking at with that credit issue is now it's 10 to one, where it used to be four to one. We used to write four pre-approvals and four tri-merge credit reports resulted in a closed loan. Now you're seeing 10 of those. So 10 uh, opportunities, 10 tri-merge credit reports might only result in one closed transaction because of these inventory shortages. So it's stuff like that, that when you're managing your business, or if you're a loan officer in the street, you have to embrace these changes and you have to adapt to the climate. Because if you can't do that, then you're not guaranteed to survive this. And the one thing I can tell you from my experience in the mortgage industry, hands down, is every time it goes down, it comes right back up afterwards. And what happens is everybody leaves and then they rush to get back in 
And then they miss the boat because they got to reactivate their licenses and everything. So if you're serious about this career, if you're serious about this industry, hang in there. It's been 12 to 18 months so far. You probably got another six or eight ahead of you. We already saw some good signs and indicators with rates this week. It's like Christmas came early. We're coming over the event horizon now. So we just got to hang in there, keep embracing change, keep adapting work harder for less. And I think we'll see some success. Yeah. We're recording this for those listening and saying, okay, this it did. It. When did this happen? What are we recording this? We're recording this on Friday, December 15th. So we saw a nice rally and that's what you're referring. So I want to put a little yeah. time counts up so on this. So when uh, we're listening to this there, we don't know what's going to happen by the time this airs. We could see. Yeah, it might go the other way, happen. right? It might have gone the other way. So I want to make sure everyone understands that. One of the things that we have seen is tremendous amount of change. What well, seems like a tremendous amount of change. When you look at measure change in technology or in the mortgage industry, it moves at the pace of a glacier. It's just so slow. But we have seen some significant change, constant change coming in the way the business works. What tech do you see being a major game changer in the lending process moving forward? I think that it's all about point of sale in the tech game. Right. And this is why right. I decided that was the sector that I wanted to bring my business and my skill set into. And I'll explain. For years, we looked at our LOS system in Compass and we said, oh, let's go remove every click that we can. Let's create as much efficiency that we can in the back office. And we did a phenomenal job at it. We have one of the most tweaked encompasses in the industry. It's pretty fast for the system. And we had always had a great strategic relationship with Ellie May and now Ice Mortgage Technology. But I started to realize about five or six years ago that it was adapting. I looked at, as an executive of a mortgage company, where do I get my business from? And where does my business live? It comes from my loan officers, our referral partners, and our clients. And it just so happens that all three of those individuals live inside of a point of sale system, your front end web interface. Like you said, change happens at the speed of a glacier in this industry, very slow. But if we go look at one of the biggest changes over the past 10 years, it's been the adoption of online applications and the online consumer experience. Loan officers migrating from taking phone applications over to sending their web link and having a borrower apply online. And even if we look at outside of our industry, if we look at our other industries, we look at the airline industry, we look at the fast food industry, things have moved to self-service terminals. When you go checking in an airport now, David, you go up to a kiosk to go and scan your ticket or print your boarding pass. You don't go to the counter to do it anymore. You go order a sandwich at McDonald's and you walk in and you order it on a kiosk. So we look at this and we say, wow, consumers are moving to self-service. They want to have more power. Lenders need more technology to create efficiency. Our referral yeah. partners yes. also need this type of technology for us to win over these accounts. And point of sale is what embodies that user experience. You need to invest in really know what is your first impression of your customer like, okay? That's your first shot. What's your online questionnaire look like? Are you handing them a book report to do to get into your company? Or are you handing them a streamlined user interface that's really simple and self-explanatory that gives them a whole bunch of options of how they want to apply. Do you want to call me and do a phone app? Do you want to schedule a walk-in appointment? Do you want to do 100% of your application online? This is the type of software and technology that's being built now, whereas the first generation of point of sale, it was really impressive just to take an application online. That's no longer that impressive. 
Now what needs to be done is, do you have automated self-service terminals? Can you go put a kiosk inside of one of your real estate offices so when you're not there, okay, that kiosk is there that's going to take an application for you and go right to your mobile device and you can write that pre-approval mobily. Because if you're out of sight, you're out of mind to your real estate partners. Are you going to be able to train your real estate partners on new ways of technology for you guys to collaborate inside of the CRM space? Real estate agents haven't been the best data aggregators and loan officers have to always chase them down for business. Where we're going, and especially with the NAR stuff going on, is we're actually looking at CRM technology that correlates with our point of sale technology that allows loan officers and real estate agents to collaborate on leads together using kiosks for open house check-ins to collect all the leads to replace sign-in sheets, giving both loan officer and real estate agent full transparency to each other where they can collaborate and convert those leads together. If we can innovate and we can design and implement technology like this, that's going to lead to the next generation of mortgage technology and the real estate transaction. Yeah, I think when you look at Kiosks. There's no question we're seeing an explosion of those. I do a lot of flying. I still go to the counter because I'm a preferred flyer at this point. So I still get that special service, which really goes to the loan officer, the role of the loan officer moving forward. Certainly buying a house is more significant than buying a burger at a kiosk or getting an airline ticket. What is the role of the loan officer in the future in light of this technology? Isn't it going to be more where the loan officer is going to be working more the relationship side of it and less the detail side of it? Is that what you're saying? Actually, I agree and disagree on that. So let's lo look at this, right? Technology is going to be able to automate and streamline easier transactions. If you have a rate and term refinance, 50 LTV with an appraisal waiver, sure, the loan officer's role is going to be diminished in that transaction. It's going to be mainly relationship driven where they're driving the client to their website. They'll be able to use day one certainty technology to do pull in their bank statements, pull in their pay stubs. They'll be able to use systems like Halcyon to validate their tax identity now. And you'll get day one certainty reps and warrants, and you'll even have an easier underwrite on that. But I still think that the detail role of a loan officer is going to be more prevalent than ever. And the reason I say that is because I've spent years coding technology for mortgages. And every single day, I still see new variables that have not been crossed before. Loan officers are masters and the best loan officers are the ones that have actually messed up the most amount of deals sometimes because they learn and they say, oh, never going to make that mistake again. When you look at these highly complex transactions, you have a multifamily FHA loan with four borrowers on it. You need that brain behind there. So I think you're going to see a segregation of different types of transactions where loan officers roles are a little bit different. They're definitely going to have to do it by volume. I do see that in the next 10 years, compensation will probably be reduced as technology continues to automate. Did I hear you say that? Because I want to underscore that mortgage loan origination compensation will be reduced in the future. I do believe that over the next decade, yeah, you will see reduction of compensation. Okay, good. I want to make sure that's clearly stated somewhere. Not, I'm going to not <laughs> warmly receive that, but certainly that has been one of the biggest factors in the cost originate. We've got to reduce it. And if we're reducing on the operational side, uh, correlating to the other side of the deal, which we've got to focus in on that side of it, it has to be addressed. So I hope you're right in the sense that, it, well, I hope that they, right. where, where I hope you're right is technology helps you do more deals. So the income actually goes up 
but the cost per commission per deal drops. That's what I really think is the real deal. Compensation should increase on a volume basis because it should be yes. easier for a loan officer to close more loans yes. with the adoption of technology. But the per yeah. transaction compensation may go down just be driven on market factors. Yeah, so we're both in agreement. We want loan originators making great money. We're not advocating that originators make less money. It's make less money per transaction, but do more transactions and make greater right. money that way. Yeah. Let's and, talk and about the same on the real estate side too. I think that we yeah. have real estate agents and loan officers provide tons of value to the transaction. They're yeah. the emotional firewall for our consumers yeah. to get these deals closed. And that's something that technology can never replace. I agree. 100% agree with you that technology, this could always be a relational component about this biggest transaction. At the end of the day, I want to look at the eyeballs of a breathing human. Tell me that I'm making a good decision, even though their recommendation may be slightly conflicted because they're earning a commission out of, I still want to see them say, this is a good deal. This is a good loan program for you. Something that you've been writing and talking about is something you refer to as the savvy seller. I really want to get into understanding what you mean by that. And there's a natural evolution that's happening in the housing market. What did you mean by the word savvy seller? And what does that mean for lenders moving forward? So savvy seller goes back to the NAR issue is what if it's not business as usual? Mm -hmm. What happens if a seller or a consumer in that regard is influenced by different type of data? I like to make okay. a joke that all it takes is a couple Instagram reels or some TikTok videos to say, hey, did you know when you're thinking about selling your house, you can save 3%. How do you do that? When your listing agent tells you to check the buyer agent commission, don't do it because you're not required to anymore. And all it takes is that to motivate some price conscious consumers to try to save money when they're selling their house. And then that leads to all the trailing counterparty risk that we were discussing earlier. Buyer agent commission gets reduced, could cause them to have price competition internally, where when you go look at real estate agents, especially buyer agents, the few have the most amount of transactions, not the many. There's almost 2 million real estate agents. Over a million of them do zero to one transactions a year. So when you go look at that and you have a subset of buyer agents that are highly successful and they're saying, well, I'm used to making 3%. And then you have a larger subset of buyer agents that say, look, I'll take anything I can get. I'll do the deal for $2,000. I'll show you the house and book the deal for you. You might see price competition and you might see where the savvy seller scenario by them not offering buyer agent commission starts now treading into these buyer agents. It might cause buyer agents to work for less, which then could cause them to tread into that loan officer territory. And we get back to dual comp then. So it's like yeah. this big circle. Okay. When you're talking about savvy seller, we have a lot of, hoping for a lot of first time home buyers coming into the market. Would you put savvy sellers in that context as well? No, I think and the first time home buyer, are they considered savvy? It's not that a first time home buyer is not considered savvy. It's the pre-existing homeowner that's maybe done yeah. one or two transactions before yeah. that. So clearly they're savvy. They're going to be more savvy. Right. They're going to be more savvy and they're going to try to look for a cost savings when selling their house. And they might yeah. cut out the buyer agent commission to do it. Good. Yeah. It's great perspective on this. Love your perspective. I, I, great guest. I'm really pleased with the perspective you have on this. The last question I've got as we look at the time, it's I could sit and visit with you because 
fun to have the dialogue on it. And there's a lot of points I want to go back and revisit. We don't have time, but I want to finish up with this one. What is the one thing every real estate agent, loan officer, and housing consumer should know about the way our industry is evolving? And it is evolving. Finally. One thing. <laughs> what, what's the, well, yeah, Gary Keller got sure a great, wrote a, a, I've got one, Gary Keller's book up here that it says the one thing. It was a great book. I like what's the one thing, but I, I think there is a concept of what is one thing that we should be focusing on? Consumers have the choice. Yeah. Consumers choice, choice. have yes, the sure. choice to use you or not use you, right? Mm. Consumers have the choice to pick you to do their mortgage. Consumers have the choice to pick you as the buyer agent. Consumers have the choice to pick you as the listing agent. You have to now more than ever yes, use yes, your yes. influence, okay, and show that highest level of service standard if you want to be a true professional. Putting 50% energy in, it's not going to cut it anymore because like you said, yeah. everything's changing. You have to be serious. I do think that the roles of part-time agents, part-time loan officers are going to be getting diminished more because the transactions are so much harder. The industry keeps on changing at such an alarming rate that some people are going to put their hands up and exit and say, you know what? I can't take it anymore. But the ones that stay, the best shot you have at staying is focusing on your customer, right? Staying in front of them, staying on top of them, whether they're a prospect or a closed loan. Do you know how many loan officers miss out on an annual review? You should be on the phone with every person you've ever talked to with a mortgage, and that should be discipline. Every month, you should look at the past 36 months of loans you closed, and you should be making, let's say you close five loans a month on, on average, that's 15 phone calls a month you should make just touching base. Hey, it's Matt from Absolute Home Mortgage, right? I'm just touching base. It's been a year or two since you closed. Let's do a financial review. What's going on? Do you know anybody that's also looking to buy a house? Do you know anybody that needs to refi? You have to go and extract information out of your database, David, because we were indoor all, cats yeah. for too long, buddy. Our phones yeah. were just ringing for two years. We pick up and there yeah. was a line of people waiting to talk to us. It's not like that anymore. You got to go yeah, out I just and get did it. it. I did an interview with Garrett Locklear, another top producer like yourself. And he says, the loan officers ran around with a net, just the loans were falling out of the sky. That's not sales. We're back to the point where we need the professionals that are committed to doing the industry, but we are a boom bust cycle on that. From a CHLA perspective, we bust, we're just coming out of a bust cycle with the 10 year dropping as it has today. And we're hoping that we'll continue to at least continue in the trend wise move lower that could mean that we could see ourselves back into some boom business. What's your perspective on those that are opportunistically coming in and harvesting like a sharecropper when they come in, when it's harvest time, and then they move on to another industry when it's not in vogue to be in the business. And what's your thoughts? Do we need to regulate them out more? Do we need to set a higher bar? Thoughts. I, I never opposed to, to uh, somebody joining the industry, right? If you choose to go out and come back in, that's your choice. Uh, I, I'm more of a don't get too high in the high and to get don't get too low on the lows and try to find the median through all of it. That's my personal choice. I do see some loan officers exit and come back in, but they're going to lose opportunity along the way because right. real estate agents, you know what they want in a business partner? Consistency, David. And yes. when you're coming back in, others are coming back in too. So you're going to lose a lot of opportunity on your ramp. And a lot of times, like the last cycle, by the time you get back in six or 10 months has passed, you might only get the end of the transaction. So you got to stay prevalent, right? And when you talk yep. about CHLA, yep. what we're looking for throughout all these cycles is something very consistent. 
reduction of regulatory burden for independent mortgage bankers. When you go look at an independent mortgage banker, think about how many regulators we have. If you, my company's licensed in 35 states, so I have 35 state regulators. I got FHA, I got Fannie, I got Freddie, I got FHFA, I got VA, I got USDA, right? It just goes on and on. And we might be under 10 consistent audits at any given time. What we're looking at is saying, hey, let IMBs do their thing. There is no systemic risk to the banking system with IMBs. If an IMB exits the market, a new one opens up tomorrow and fills the gap. We're not holding deposits. So we're constantly in our regulators' offices. We're constantly reminding them, hey, look at who independent mortgage bankers are. They serve the underserved communities. They're the ones that are lending, right? Let's not intrude on them and start putting crazy CRA regulations in place Let's not go down these rabbit holes. Let's let them bob and weave and actually serve the community. And that's what they're there for. We don't need to be over-regulating them. So as we wrap this up, let's go in and give you an opportunity to give a shameless plug for CHLA. We have the Mortgage Collaborative, which is a sponsor of our podcast. We have Lenders One, which is a sponsor. Both of those are co-ops. We have the MBA that's a sponsor for the podcast. So we value all of them. But why should someone also want to join CHL, the Community Home Lenders Association, CHLA? First, Lenders One, TMC is the collaborative. They do an amazing job. If you're looking at great networking, right? You're looking at really getting good feedback to make sure it's not too lonely at the top and you share ideas with other executives. These are great organizations. Same with MBA. MBA is a phenomenal advocate for our industry, right? Pete Mills and his team does amazing work. I work closely with them for years, but CHLA is just a little bit different. CHLA is more grassroots. It's boots on the ground. If you're somebody that wants to be involved, wants to have your voice heard, you want to go meet these policymakers, you want to walk into FHFA and have your voice be heard, that's what CHLA is. It's a smaller group, but it definitely has some very aggressive initiatives. It's fast-paced and fast-moving. We can take on a brand new topic, and without kind of multiple layers of approval processes, we can have the, present it to the membership group and say, yeah, this is an initiative we want to take on. And within hours, we're acting on that, drafting letters and getting it into policymaker and administrative offices. If you're a doer, if you really believe in this business and you really like to advocate, that's what I tell you. It's to tell somebody to get involved in CHLA because it really makes your voice heard. Matthew Van Flossen, I'm impressed. You are a busy man with all that you have your hands and fingers into. Kudos to you. I love finding professionals that are committed to the level that you are. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Would love to have you back. I'm really impressed. We could have spent an hour on each one of the different of these topics that we went down today. Whenever you need me back, I am totally down to come back. We just got to find some time in the schedule, but we can talk about any topic <laughs> around real estate, technology, or mortgage or regulation. And I am in. Don't have to threaten me with time. (laughs) You're great. Have a Merry Christmas, uh, Matthew. I appreciate you being here. And uh, Merry Christmas to all of our listeners as well. Thank you. Thanks, David. Hey, listeners, this hot topic would not be possible without our sponsors. I want to say a special thank you to our sponsors, Total Expert, Finastra, Byte Software, Lender Homepage, Angel AI, Truve, the Mortgage Bankers Association of America, Lenders One, the Mortgage Collaborative, iEmergent, Modex, Mobility MMI, and Knowledge Group. There's so many good sponsors here, and we're so grateful for each one of them. Be sure to check out each of those sponsors and their spots on our website, Lickin' on Lending under the sponsorship page. Thank you. 
You've been listening to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lickin of Transformational Mortgage Solutions. Join us next week, and thanks for listening.